Welcome to the Talent Matters Podcast. Learn how to make the most of talent as a competitive advantage. Navigate today's fast-changing talent landscape and prepare now for the future of work. Here's your hosts, Brian Arzani and Jennifer Erickson. All right, so we are back with Talent Matters. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Arzani, and I am here with my business partner, Jennifer Erickson. Say hey, Jennifer. Hello, everybody. I'm very excited to be here today talking about recruitment systems. You know, we've had so many folks, you know, messaging us, reaching out, saying, God, you know, this information is great that your, you know, clients are participating and sharing. But there's some of the stuff that's in there that they're like, that's some golden nugget stuff. Are you keeping that from us? You know, and we're like, no. And so they're just like asking us to come back out and to share some of this stuff. And that's and that, that's kind of where it came from, Jen, right? And right. That's, where yeah. we're at. that's what we're going to do today. So a lot of them have talked about their customized hiring process that we help them with. So today we're going to talk high level about really what should a hiring process look like? What are the components and what goes into it? But it's going to be high level. So today we're not going to get into the down and dirty how to create all of this. We're going to tell you the what, not the how. In additional podcasts, we're going to go into the how and in some of the different steps. Absolutely. I think it's the big thing is what, you know, you think about, recruitment right now and talent and coming out of, you know, it's funny because everybody's like, oh, this is the worst time ever. And Jen and I've been doing this for 21 years. And, you know, we've been saying and hearing for 21 years, it's the worst time ever. I mean, we went through the different phases of, you know, post 9-11 and people from the tech world were scattering everywhere. And then we went through the, wasn't that the mortgage, you know, the mortgage crisis, the 2008, we happen to be in a market that consistently has low unemployment numbers between two and 4%. So recruiting in that situation is very incredible as well. Yeah. So, you know, here we go. All right, let's just get into it because the folks that are listening right now are like, well, get to the, let's go. So anyways, all right. So Let's just go, Jen. Kick it. All right. So some of the things we're going to talk about today, besides the different steps and, in, in, you know, really what is a recruitment system and why do you need one? What's the state of the talent pool right now? What is a top performer? How do you attract them and different facts on assessments? Okay. So as we, as we look at this, one of the questions, so if it's a large organization, an organization that's sufficient to have justified the investment in a human resource professional, um, versus some of the other organizations we work with that are like all other duties as assigned. Um, there's different ways to go about it. But one of the things that's important as we talk about, you know, putting a system in place, let's just back up a little bit and just, let's just talk, Jen, about what are the, what are the manager musts? As we, as we look at managers, a lot of times we've got managers out there that are in their role and we've actually taken engagements before that lasted a few years where we were unpacking all of the broken crap that they created, where they were promoting people who had literally nobody reporting to them into senior vice president positions because of time, tempo, tenure, whatever obligation. So as we look at this, you know, what are some things that good managers need to be doing on a regular basis in order to just continue to help the organization continue to grow? So, all Jen, right. so number this. one is what's your accountability system? How do you hold your people accountable? And what do you hold them accountable to? Do you hold them accountable to their activities, 
to their results or both? Good question. I mean, we ask managers all the time when we interview them, we're going to say, hey, what do you, what's more important, activity or results? And based on how they answer that will tell us a lot about how they think. Number two, in terms of manager musts, is coaching. Um, they have to, you know, back in the day, we had managers who were kind of like necessity and oxygen who checked boxes and that kind of stuff. But the organizations that had different departments that performed at the highest levels had a little bit of a different manager, even though they had the title in there, that that manager looked at themselves as a coach. And so a coach does what? They are continually driving better skill sets, better depth, better velocity, capacity within each one of their people. And so number two is coaching. We've got to have managers who stop thinking of themselves as, you know, just checking boxes and doing the administrivia crap into just genuinely being a coach, motivated, excited about it, you know, jacked up, getting their people. We always say, you know, a team's never going to outperform the coach. All right. So one thing people fail to realize, the number one job of a leader in an organization is to grow their people, right? So coaching is huge because they don't get results unless they get them through their people, right? Number three. Unless they become an administrative, they, they become a, what do they call it? They call it the, uh, an executive who has a bunch of admin assistants versus actual empowered employees. So anyway. <laughs> Number three is a checkup from the neck up daily. And what that means is checking in on your people at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. I don't care which one, just to make sure they have their head screwed on straight. There you go. Nothing worse than your top performer going off the rails and you not knowing about it for a week. That's right. We've been in some IT organizations, large organizations where they've got up and comers who are making it. And we tell them, you better check in with this woman every day because it wouldn't take much for her to move on and you not know it. And sure enough, after about eight months, that manager got a little bit lazy. He became complacent. And you know what? they lost an incredible, I mean, just supernova. So that checkup from the neck up's huge, Jen. Absolutely. Cannot, cannot agree more. Next thing is, and this causes some anxiety in our, in our clients that have like under the 200 employee mark, we say the most important thing you can do is to send a message to the marketplace that you're a healthy, lively organization by doing the one thing that organizations of that size don't want to do is constantly recruit. Absolutely. And one of the reasons why you see it sends a healthy message to the market is when you always have advertisements out there, your advertisements, we'll talk about how they're written at a later time, but they should be able to say due to continual growth, not due to the revolving door because we're a horrible place to work. So, <laughs> you know, but constantly recruit. And the number one reason why organizations don't constantly recruit is it's too difficult. And so when do they recruit? When they need somebody. And then they turn into the, well, if they could fog a mirror or pee in a cup, we'll take them. <laughs> Absolutely. Then, so yeah, constantly recruit. And if that didn't cause some of you anxiety, then you probably have never been in the hiring process. Well, and, and number five goes along with that. You should have your short list, your farm team, your bench, and those that are bringing in the tide. And what that really means is if you're constantly recruiting, there are people out in the market that you know you'd love to hire if they had something that made them want to jump ship. Are they on your short list? Do they know 
that they're on your short list. Well, and, and are you touching base with them regularly? Yeah, I mean, everybody's listening right now. You, if you don't have a list of three or four people in your market that are already aware that the moment they get unhappy or upset, they're supposed to call you. If you if you don't have that list and it's been more than a month since you've contacted them, then you don't have a short list. Absolutely, farm team. When you think of a farm team, I mean, you're looking at, you know, like, I mean, Major League Baseball, you know, you've got Little League, you've got those that, like Jen said, the number one job of a manager is to grow their people. You should have a group of individuals within your organization that you've not promised leadership and advancement to, but that you're continually tasking, monitoring, looking at them to see, do these people show me signs that they have that thing, a little special thing to go to the next level? So. If you're going to be constantly building your people, it's not just the people that you have, it's the people that you want to have someday. So it's, it's, you've got to constantly be growing your people, watching them, looking at them. Well, and what would happen if the unicorn came along? Oh, yeah. The unicorn was available. That person, that ideal candidate for you. Oh, we so, wouldn't want to. If we don't have a position up, we never hire him, John. Come on now. Oh, come on now. I beg, <laughs> borrow, or steal money to make sure I hired that person. We've been, how long? We've been asking that question for 20 years, right? 20 Absolutely. And we'd say, hey, what if that person came into your office and said, all right, I'm ready to go? We've never had anybody say, nope. We wouldn't do it if it wasn't a process. Now, you know who does say we wouldn't do it if we didn't have a position open is people that don't understand the dynamics of how important the talent pool is. But people that actually are leaders and are visionaries, they will bring on the right people. That comes from Jim Collins' book, right? First right. two, then what? I mean, exactly, it's, uh, exactly. And and you know that, that segues really nicely into talking about the talent pool right now, because not only do we have you know, the normal stuff that we see in the t- talent pool that makes people want to j- jump ship. Well, what are some of those things, Jen? I mean, oh, workload, talent show, sh- shortages, you know, turnover, shifting teams. You put me on a team with someone I don't like, crisis management, firefighting, you know, difficult personalities. Maybe I have a manager that's just a total jerk. Right. Right. That I can't get along with, you know, someone, maybe I have a manager that's unethical. Uh, well, and you, you know, and with these, a lot of times now we got all these, you know, scrum, scrum masters, we've got agile teams, we've got all this stuff going on to where these things used to rear their ugly heads less, but because people are shifting teams so much more often, all of those things are coming out more often than any other. Well, and one thing I didn't mention is lack of defined roles and goals. I don't know what's expected of me. Hmm. I don't know how to win here. Dude, how often do we hear that? Well, every day. Three times a day. Oh my gosh. I mean, we call it job security, but yeah. And it's not about, you know, the absolutes, but genuinely seeing how they fit in where they're going. And and that ultimately becomes one of the number one reasons why people leave organizations and people a lot of times will say, well, people leave leaders, they leave managers. No, they leave their vision folks. Okay. They leave when you say lack of defined roles and goals, when they no longer see how they fit in big picture to their team, their position, their organization or whatever, that doesn't mean everybody needs to be a leader, but when they no longer see that, they start considering other alternatives, just like in a relationship when it's still a ship, not a shit. But when you have a <laughs> relationship, um, they can see themselves in the field. Like, you think about this. If you're going to, if you see yourself retiring with your significant other, then you'll put up with all those little nuances. The moment that you no longer see yourself long-term, 
then those little things become insurmountable. And then that relationship is ultimately over. That's how people leave organizations as well. So that, like Jen said, the lack of defined roles and goals is huge. So let's say you have a system and you're out there and people start applying. Here's some stuff you need to know about that. <laughs> Tell, I mean, uh, and, and we've actually seen these statistics go up recently. So go ahead, Jen, just share with what, All what's right, going so on. All right, so when we teach people how to recruit or when we used to recruit, I would be the person that would call and get references, right? And normally HR people will just tell you data hire and all that kind of great stuff, unless you know how to ask questions, of which I do. <laughs> so here's what I found out. Almost, uh, uh, there's almost an increase of 50% in the number of applicants who are not eligible for rehire to where they left, right? Due to conflicts, personality issues, disciplinary problems, theft, and embezzlement. Ooh, I bet you want to hire them, huh? So you just simply say, is this person eligible for rehire? And that's where you're pulling a lot of this stuff out of. Absolutely. Holy crap. (laughs) So 50%, one out of every two that they're reaching out to is not eligible to even be rehired by their previous employer. Yes. And nearly 10% of applicants that have been coming through places have a criminal record. Well, isn't everybody doing background checks today? I mean, come, no. on. come on. You wish. Dude. I wish. Oh my Make gosh. our jobs a lot easier. Oh my right? gosh. Right? So some people, you know, are starting to do drug testing, finally. Right? Some people do maybe a driving background check. Others might do a criminal background check. The new newer thing is the financial background check, depending on the organization and what they're touching. Well, and it just, I mean, there's so many different more, so many more data points that you pull from that helps you to kind of put together that avatar of candidate that's going to come across. And yeah, I mean, if you're not doing background checks, I mean, you're setting yourself up for a huge. It's all pieces of the puzzle. And here's another reason why to do background checks. Almost 50% of the applicants misrepresented their education and credentials on their resume. <laughs> so Jen, is this, is this significant? I mean, you've been monitoring this stuff for 20 plus years. Are you seeing, I mean, I know the answer to this, but for our listeners, when you say there's an increase in it, it wasn't this way. Is it just because of the coronavirus? Is it? No, it's just because people are people and they're trying to get jobs, yeah. right? Better okay. jobs. And they're coming out of school uh, college, you know, with all this debt, right? Mm-hmm. And they think that they're worth more what than what they really are because they paid all this money for, you know, an education. Yep. Um, but here's the thing: more than 30 million people have secured employment by lying on their resume. Wow! All right, well, there you go, folks. There. So, if if one of your huge pieces and parts is got to have a resume, 30 million, probably nobody that's listening ever had somebody lie on their resume. But <laughs> now I got to be honest. I mean, I, I was told this years ago when I did a, a speaking event at a large uh, association of distributors, the president of that association said the most creative writing he's ever seen other than a call report from salespeople <laughs> was, was their resume. So I get it. And salespeople, we typically look at everybody had a 900% increase in growth. But anyways, reality is, you better be doing some checking on that stuff. So as you think about this, a couple of things real quick to kind of put out there. When you're hiring people, you're looking for people that either have a couple of different things that you're that we're talking about. One 
is they've got that that deep innate ability to do it. And we'll talk about some of those things. But let me just kind of put maybe some of you in some pain. So we heard this from somebody a long time ago. It was hilarious, very funny. So in, and here's one thing too. There's no more new ideas. If anybody tells you they got a new idea and they've revolutionized something, they are totally lying. Grab your pocketbook, put it back in your pocket and be careful. And so what we found, and we learned this from a really good president of a large organization, he, he said this. He said, there's no more new ideas. There's just new people learning old lessons. So here's an old lesson that maybe you've gone through that other people have learned, and I'll give it to you, and Jen and I will kind of help Tarantino it so that you don't repeat that again. So when you're in hiring and you're looking at employment of people and talent, and there's only two types of people, those that are getting replaced, those that are going to get replaced. Come on now. But as you think about the phases of employment, the first phase is faith. You hire people, right? Nobody hires somebody going, dude, I can't wait till they fail, right? I mean, they they hire them with the faith that they're going to do the job. And so they look outside these lenses that are looking for reasons to hire people. And then they bring them on board and they introduce them to all the other people. And it's kind of like your little your little show toy. You're like, look at my little treasure and my present. And so then you drag them around and you have this hope. And you're like, I hope that they make it. And, and maybe after about six weeks, you start going, oh, crap, I really hope that you make make it. And then after hope, you move into charity. And charity is that phase of employment where you've started to run out of hope. And now you feel like, especially if you're the business owner, that you feel like you're the government and you're cutting a welfare check to somebody (laughs) that's just taking up a seat in your office and you're like, good night. And then what happens is you start to avoid them. So if they're on this side of the office, you'll come on that side of the office and you'll find ways to avoid even making eye contact. And then after charity for a while, your anger, and then all of a sudden you move from anger into guilt, right? And you're like, oh crap. All right, so I haven't done enough. So you start to pour into them and help them and teach them and train them and mentor them and ride along with them and, and give them your best and whatever. Oh, and then guilt. Eventually, your other people come back around. And you're like, dude, um, you, you're, you're wrong. You're like, oh, come on. And, and then guilt turns into resentment where now all of a sudden you avoid every aspect of them. You can't even stand their face. Writing the check drives you crazy. And then it goes to anger and then you actually fire them. So here's the here's your little thing. When you feel yourself going from charity, right, into that resentment, peace, and guilt, quit feeling guilty. Just get rid of them. All right, there you go. But yeah, you need to get rid of them because really there's three reasons for non-performance, right? Yep, three. 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 Okay, and here's what they are. They're not capable. They're not capable of doing the job. Which means you chose wrong. You chose right? wrong. You put them in the wrong seat. Or they're the right person. Right. Wrong seat. But they, number two, don't know how. Uh, uh-huh. They need training. What's your training program? So is it you're not good at picking them or you're not good at developing them? Oh, that Ooh, sucks. Right? That's painful. Okay. That's or number painful. three, they're choosing not to. Meaning... They make excuses and they just well, they don't make they don't make your priorities their priorities. So they're like, right. well, what do you want me to do all day long? Or gee, I was so busy. What do you expect from me? Oh, it's so hard. So yeah, don't know how, choose not to, not capable. Boom. And you know what? If you have people that are making excuses in your life, those three answers are the only answers to why. They're not doing what they should be doing. Well, here's the thing too, though, is you tolerate from others what you tolerate from yourself. So if you got people on your team that make excuses, the bitter message is you're probably also an excuse maker. So let that sink in a little bit. I've been through that process myself. 
And I've got good people around me that continue to help prevent me from making excuses. But that's one of the number one things that's killing any organization today is tolerating, allowing, making, even in the language that you use. I mean, my goodness, we go into organizations, just change the vocabulary, and it raises the the, the culture in overnight, just in a couple of vocabulary changes. So, but Jim, why don't you talk about, I mean, there's, there's steps that we follow in this recruitment process from a high level perspective. Okay. So from a high level, this is what we used to do for our customers. So we used to recruit. This is the actual system I used. And this is the system we now teach people. Now tell them how we recruited too, because we don't recruit anymore. So this isn't a marketing piece, but we didn't recruit like most recruiting firms where, you know, you give them a, a three month guarantee, 90 day guarantee or a six month, whatever. And you, you, you charge them after it's over. We got so good at it that we would do. Well, we were a, a flat fee recruiter. We were not on a contingency basis. So that means we were the only one on the contract. And we went out and actually found people that fit within the role and we test them. We assess them. Most recruiters don't. And we guaranteed them. <clears throat> we guaranteed them. We didn't just say, hey, in 90 days, you got to make sure you pay us the other half or six months. We had a, we had one situation where after 11 months, something happened and this guy just fell off the tracks and we worked with the company to help make it go. And we didn't fail. That's how good we got. We right. we didn't. I mean, so we offered a guarantee. Period. That they would flat out work, and we got really, really, really good at it, and we became really well known for it. But you know what? It takes a lot of effort and work to make it scalable. We've decided to go out and teach all the tips and tricks. And well, and and here's the thing: companies go out and they pay recruiters all this money, right? And they really have no asset for it. If you take what we're teaching you and you implement it within your organization, you're going to have a system and a process that's a top, that's a performing asset that goes along with your business throughout time. Absolutely. Okay. And so, here's the thing. If you're constantly recruiting, then, and your system gets refined, then you've got that ability at a, at a versus saying we have to hire and have to have it done in 30 days. Right. So, all right. So everybody take out your pens and paper. Here are the steps. And here's number one identifying your ideal candidate. And I'm not talking about a job description. If companies fail anywhere, this is the big fail. Because well, if you get this wrong, everything else is wrong. Absolutely. Okay. Number two, attracting your ideal candidate. We'll get into writing recruitment ads in a different session. But attracting them just means that you're, you're, you're advertising where that talent is at today. And the words that you use speak to the ideal candidate you identify. And it dissuades those who are losers. Exactly. <laughs> Step three is the search. Step four is the assessment assignment. So a lot of people out there unemployed. A lot of people wasting your HR people, your time, your manager's time because they're tire kickers or they're just trying to, you know, qualify for unemployment this week. So we do an assessment assignment. And guess what? If they don't complete the assessment assignment, they don't move on. Well, and, and, and sometimes it isn't, it's just, there's different types of assignments too. I mean, everything that we do mimics and models the exact job that they're going to be doing. So it's not just about sending them a test or something like that. We're, we literally get in and figure out how can we probe and, and stress this, this candidate out to continue to find reasons to knock them out versus reasons to keep them in. Go to step five, Jen. Step five is a phone interview. Ah. We don't bring people in before we interview them on the phone. Why not? Well, you know, we're Midwesterners. We're nice people. 
We love people, right? (laughs) If we bring you in, I'll know in five minutes if you're right for me or not. And then I'm going to feel bad that I made you come here and I think you suck. So or, I'll give you a Diet Coke and take you around where I could have <laughs> just interviewed you on the phone and known you weren't right and not waste your time or mine. But you have the ability to say no. What if I bring them in and I fall in love with them? Uh, well, that happens. And we'll get into that a little later. Uh, number six is the in-person interview for qualified candidates, what? right? You know, what's so crazy is how refreshing it is for the executives and the leaders and managers that we have worked with over the last 21 years that say, we no longer have to meet with losers, you mean? Yes, we're telling you that the only people you're going to sit down and interview have passed the first six steps or whatever. First five steps, yes. And and we know that flat out, they've got all of the the foundational pieces. We call it kind of almost the sniff test, right? You just got to walk in and go, you know what? Yep. Okay. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you put dogs together, you know, or livestock. I grew up on a pig farm. Well, you got to say, you know, can I, can I sit around? I mean, what is it? Steve Sims from Blue Fishing says, you know, can I have a beer with you? That's that's, that's what Steve Sims says. Yeah, we call true. it the sniff. We call it the sniff test. Steve Sims says, can I walk across the street and have a beer with you? Whatever. But you got to see, do they fit into your culture? Do they feel right? Because if right. not, then okay, just it's it's okay. Move on. Move on, yeah. Right. Number seven is next steps, details, job offer, all that great kind of stuff. Okay. So why have a recruitment system? Right. Well, a system is made up of you know four components that are crucial. Right. It allows you to measure what's going on. We call them the four M's. M's is in Mary. So first one's measure, and if you're measuring the right stuff, then you're managing the right activities. And if you're managing the right activities, then you as a leader are going to know what to monitor. And monitoring is at that that macro level. And if you're monitoring, managing, and managing and measuring the right stuff, then when it moves to modification, then you're going to be modifying the right things. And we've got all types of of different little algorithms that we're looking at when we're running the recruitment system. And we only modify the things that aren't working. And we know what should be working because we're always measuring and managing the right things and monitoring the right things. And we're talking about them. We know within an hour or two, if we have the right advertisement out there, we know within a couple of days, if we have the right phone interview question, I mean, absolutely. We, we and here's an example. Here's a, here's how quirky it can be. Okay. We're in Des Moines, Iowa, Right. People in Des Moines, Iowa, there's a river called the Des Moines River, divides the city east and west. People from the east side will cross the river and work on the west side. Nine times out of 10, people on the west side will not cross the river to work on the east side. And we don't know why. We All don't we know, know why. Is, is, we just know that it is. Yeah. So we learned real quick when we were recruiting on the east side <laughs> that we needed to put that in the ad and in the phone interview question. You know what? I love it when you talk about like, different authors that say cool stuff. The book, Fierce Conversation by Susan Scott, she goes, interrogate reality without laying blame. And that's a great example. Jennifer is able to go, you know what? We found this. This is coming up often. It is what it is. And then we all got to want to get emotional about it. Go, oh, why? this is why. She goes, nope, stop it. It's just a fact. Don't get emotional about the facts. So there you go. So why this system? Why Why did we design this system this way? Well, we're looking for talent that has job dissatisfaction, not the unemployed. And what does that mean is something has gone wrong in their organization, in in their role. Um, If it's a salesperson, maybe their sales commission changed. Maybe their territory got taken away and divided in half. Who knows? But that's what we're looking for. And and the reason for that is 
you want to be in control as the, as the employer. And so if you're in control and you're looking for people that are dissatisfied, you're going to find people out there that were not looking yesterday that all of a sudden have decided to start looking today. So what it does is it starts to speed up the process to match the candidates and, and their job buying process with your recruitment hiring process. I can't tell you how many organizations we've, we've worked with that say, well, our process, we do this, we've, we've included top grading and 75 other things. It takes about six weeks to run them from beginning to end. Your, your top performers aren't gonna have the patience to put up with that crap. They're gonna be hired elsewhere, yep. period. So it'll speed it up. It also allows you to be objective and compare apples to apples. I mean, if you don't have all of this thing pat down and you ask Steve this and Joe that, how are you comparing apples to apples? Yeah, there's all these folks that go, I like to pride myself, my ability to pick and find people. You know what? That works fine. Here's what we found. Since the last you know year, 15 months, those skills that worked prior to the corona and the lockdown stuff, those skills have become a little bit displaced right now. And people are sitting there going, we've got to get good talent in here, blah, blah, blah. And here's what's going on too. Today's candidates have studied, have gone through college classes, have had mock interviews, and they are better prepared than you are ever going to be to interview them. They've studied the art of interviewing and they all have the right answers. And so get ready. If you think that you're good, Trust me, these folks are way freaking better than you are. Well, and this process is going to throw all that experience out the window for them because it's designed to throw them off kilter and treat them the way your, your customers treat them in some cases, right? And allow you to see the real person, right? So as you look at, you know, what we're going to do in terms of trying to determine if they're the right candidate or not, uh, a lot of folks, we'll just, we can just talk briefly, you know, well, I guess let's, let, you know what, let's just go right into the ideal candidate profile. Let's do that. I was going to talk about something else, but um, so here's the thing. When you're talking about step number one, it's what talents are needed for success in this position. Not talking skills. We're talking truly talents that they would bring with them. And then what behavior is going to make this position successful? So we say to ourselves, you know, if this position could talk position, right? How would it say that it behaves every day? How does it handle problems? Is it aggressive? Is it kind of middle of the road? Is it, you know, passive? How do they deal with people? What kind of pace do they move at? And, you know, how is this position fed? Why is this position motivated? to? Oh, you just used the word that's uh, it's engagement, right? What engages this position? So one of the things we talk about so often, and Jen, you, you've said this forever, is I don't care how many years they have in the job, right? They could have six years in this, in, this, in this current role with this company, but here's the deal. Do they really have six years of experience or is it one year repeated six times? And so that's one of the biggest misperceptions is people equate time and position with competency. Well, yeah. And another misperception is confusing compatibility with ability. And here's what I mean by that. People hire people that are like them. So if you're compatible to me, I'm going to confuse that with your ability because I have that ability. Right. Or because you're in the the windows business or you're in the insurance business, you should be able to work in my insurance company or my whatever. Okay. Number three, um, we talk about, I guess, how do I say this? I just say, you know what? Here, here's what we look at. A lot of folks will have the job description and they'll look at it and go, you know what? They've got the same job description. That will equal, they will be successful. And that is a huge misperception. So Jen, why don't you talk about, maybe just expand a little bit more on the people that have that job dissatisfaction that you were talking about. Well, 
these people are in job change mode for seven to 10 days, right? What, which people are? The people that have job dissatisfaction. Anybody or just? No, anybody that has job dissatisfaction. Anybody or top performers? Well, top performers. All right. Absolutely. Because I didn't mean to trick you there, but I'm just saying, because not everybody is. I mean, shoot, there's people out there that have been in job change mode for nine months. Well, that's because no one's taken them because they're not a top performer. <laughs> Right. But I mean, if they had an offer, semantics, I'm going to move on. But top performers, you have seven to 10 days. And here's why you only have seven to 10 days. Guess what? They're on probably three or four different people's shortlists. And that's who they're calling. Right. Absolutely. And, And if they're not calling them, right, you have seven to 10 days to get them through your hiring process and get them sniffed out, get them a job offer before their boss figures out something screwed up and try to fix it. Well, we've asked this question. If, 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 an, if an organization's top employee in whatever one of the positions it is, whether it's IT or sales or engineering or whatever, if they became upset, they, their manager said, I'd know pretty quick. All right. Step number two overall, how do you attract them? First thing is make it super easy for these people who are rock stars to apply with you. And so if you say, you know what, step one is they've got to have a resume. If we're looking for for people that have job dissatisfaction, they didn't have a resume sitting around. And so if your step one is get a resume. Well, remember what we said about resumes. Oh, all those people lie on them anyway. So who they're creative writing. Who cares? Yeah. It's who cares? Use that short pre-qualify interview. You know, do that upfront test. How long do your phone interviews take, John, when you when you write those? They aren't supposed to last longer than 30 minutes, but I can get through them, some of them in 10 if I'm kicking people off the phone. Yeah. So if they're not a fit. And that didn't mean to sound rude. I say it politely. Yeah. And I think most of our sales, I mean, our 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 phone interviews, I think 30 minutes depends on that. I mean, if it's a sales type of position, we can do a phone interview, a pre-phone interview. In 15. seven to 15 minutes. Right. It's pretty, pretty simple. Well, and here's the other thing about attracting them. Quit writing ads about your company. Oh, what do you mean? I can't say we are XYZ and we're a great company to work for. Yeah, I don't really care and neither do they. So, they only care about what's in it for them. There you go. So there's that old saying is, you know, top performers only listen to one radio station, WIIFM. So yeah, what's, what's in, in it, for- it for me? All right. Step three is the, you know, the the search that phone qualification. You know, you're going to assign somebody inside to take the calls, not you, because you're going to have a phone interview later, you know? So yeah, the managers, you can have anybody, you get a front desk secretary, anybody just to say, Hey, here's a couple quick questions. Can you lift 50 pounds? Do you got a driver's license? Well, you cross the river to the East side, whatever it is. Right. And if they pass, you know, schedule that phone interview, phone interview, let your, you let the receptionist, your assistant, whoever that person is know when you're going to be doing phone interviews. There you go. So after we interview them on the phone, then we sit there and we go through and we go, bah, 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 bah. and if we have a rock star, then you know what, then you give them the assignment because the phone interview, the way we write it is so intriguing to top performers that they will do the assignment. If you sit there and say, well, we've got step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, and you make it so complicated, your top performers are going to go, well, I'm out because I'm leaving the company that is ridiculously difficult to work with as well. So you give them an assignment. Sometimes it's the online questionnaire. We've got a multi-psychological approach looking at people. Sometimes there's other assignments, but here's the deal. If they don't complete the assignment that you give them, it's over. Because guess what? They're never going to try harder than when they're trying to get a job. There you go. Exactly. All right. The phone interview. It is at a pre-scheduled time. You call them. They don't answer. 
it is over. If they can't be available to have an interview, then it is over. We felt sorry for people and gave them chances <laughs> in the past. No, I felt done. sorry, Jen. You didn't feel sorry. <laughs> You know, it, the phone interview should mirror that job buying process. It should smoke out big red flags. And, you know, you should I, identify, you know, the comfort within the, you know, how well do they match your your culture, basically, is what there I'm trying to I mean, say. are you a small entrepreneurial organization? Or are you a large, very, you know, corporate environment, blah, blah, blah. So then after it's over, um, you got to have someone you can bounce ideas off of. We call it the post-interview debrief, where you can check your non-negotiables list, you know, kind of grade. Um, and then usually our, our, they'll, they'll call one of our folks within our organization to bounce off the ideas of what they felt on the call, but also what they heard exactly. And then what are the psychological ramifications or behavior ramifications or engagement ramifications? All right. So let's say you find somebody that's awesome. And they did good on their assignment, right? And everything's looking really good. And you say, I'm going to bring them in for an in-person interview. Don't ask these questions. Race, disabilities, national origin, gender, religion, age, military status, financial status, off-duty status, criminal record, marital status, and sexual orientation. Yeah, this is kind of a no-brainer. But a lot of times, smaller businesses haven't trained their managers on what questions they can and can't ask. So... Um, one of the things we also work with and teach people is use the assignment. Um, and if the assignment was the multi-pronged assessment that we give them, use that to develop interview questions. Um, and then compare, I mean, you should have all these documents in front of you. So the ideal candidate profile that you created from the beginning is step one, compare that with what are their experiences and then compare that with what you're looking for. So that as you're asking the questions, you've got all of that background right in front of you. So you're not trying to remember, especially if you've got candidates back to back to back going over the hours, expectations, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, clarify for next steps. And here's an important thing. Look for roadblocks. What do you mean? What's a roadblock? Well, here, here would be a, uh, here's a question for a roadblock. Brian, if I offer you a job today, are you moving forward with us? Well, yeah. I mean, I got to talk to my wife about it and probably just make sure everything's all in line with what I'm thinking. That's your roadblock right there. Uh, so what would you ask me in that case? It was... For, for those that are listening right now, if I said, hey, I need to talk to my significant other or I got a couple of the things I'm working on, I mean, wh where do you go from there, Jen? Well, I would ask, you know, about what other things he has going on. Okay. Does he have job offers? Are they interview questions? I mean, just interviews, where is he at in the, the process? What, you know, what would it take for me to get him hired today? If your wife is, is the, the uh, roadblock, in the past, when you've brought, you know, new job offers to her, what has she said? What has she liked? What has she disliked? Just to find out what her her process is, right? Gotcha. And then maybe offer, if you really love this person, to meet the wife so that you can sell the wife. Or the husband or, or the whatever. the husband yeah, or yeah. whatever. So, um, in that case then, Jen, you're saying um, go to that place of what that roadblock is. And then maybe worst case scenario and say, okay, so let's say they say no and you say yes, then what, right? Or that kind of exactly. stuff. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Another roadblock could be, well, I'm going to have to turn in my two weeks, right? Also, maybe going back and saying, well, what if your manager fixes it? What if they offer you more money? Exactly. Are you staying where you're at? If you're, uh -huh. how much would it take for your boss to offer you to stay where you're at? 
So those are all good things. And so a lot of times employers don't want to ask that because they're like, oh, I don't want to talk them into sticking around. But here's the thing. when It's a sales situation. Right? When do you want your no? And what do you I want? I want it now. There you go. I want it now. All right. So I think one of the big things that we've we've found over the last 21 years is we use not one instrument because there are different types of um, online uh, instruments. And some can be incredibly fatiguing, taking, you know, an hour, two, four, five, six, seven hours. But there's psychological profiles out there that measure emotional stability. There's personality uh, profiles that measure, you know, how they're going to build and, and show up in relationships. Aptitude, which is, you know, looking at math, you know, typing, all that kind of stuff. What else is there? Doing? Execution. Will they execute? You know, and, and we take a, we use three different views, the what, why, how of the individual. Yeah. And so we'll look at and just simply go, you know what, you know, how are they going to show up? What's their behavior? But then the big thing is, are they engaged? Are they engaged by the position? Because we see macro looks at engagement. We have a personal engagement map that shows you how closely they match up to the engagement of that job. And so that's a huge piece because they may not be a personality match, but they might be an engagement match. So you've got those unicorns on your current team that maybe don't have the right behavioral style or right predictive index or right disc or whatever that thing is, but they somehow make it. We look at that deeper underlying stuff that says, man, what, what is that magical little thing? And what we find a lot of times is people are engaged by it. So they'll show up a little differently based on how they're engaged. So here's just, Jen, why don't you just bring us to a closure here? And we are running out of time. Just know we are going to talk about creating an ideal candidate profile. We will do a, a thing on writing recruitment ads as well. But here are some key points. Raise your expectations. Uh, quit tolerating. Quit tolerating mediocrity. Mm. Mm. Okay. Raise your managers and your team's expectations. Okay. Really, really identify who you're looking for because if you get that wrong, it's all wrong. And I, when we when we did this back in the day when it was just Jen and I, Jen would be the one that would do it because she just could drill down. And that you'd spend just as much time on step one as I think you did on all the following steps. Absolutely, two through seven. So, yeah, and I think back to the thing too of what do we ask our every one of our folks that we coach and work with is they've got to constantly recruit. If they're not going to, if they're not committed to constantly recruiting, then the system isn't going to work. Right. And don't rely on resumes and interviews alone, right? Creative writing and people take classes on how to interview. Yeah. Right. And the most important piece is what? Don't compromise. Quit taking people that'll fog a mirror because you don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, sometimes right? they say the, the 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 evil or the bad I have is better than the evil or bad I don't have. And so, you like you said, Jen, in the beginning, there's two types of organizations. Those that are poor at picking the right people, and then there are those that are poor at developing the right people. So, I think from that, from that big picture perspective, there's your seven steps, and that's our principle-based philosophies on recruiting. And we know that it still works because we still teach, support, train organizations today and over the course of a year, we install every piece of information we could ever have knowledge gained in our entire career into that organization so that they're fully equipped to be able to do it moving forward. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, I'm going to Miami in a couple of weeks and I'm spending a whole day just identifying their ideal candidate for a couple of roles. 
And what's crazy is, is this is a wildly successful organization. And what they found is, is that they're outgrowing some of the talent that they currently have. And so they're getting in position for what the talent is they're going to need. But it doesn't mean we're getting rid of people. It just means that it's expanding and we're going to empower the entire organization to tell us what is the talent that it's going to be necessary as they grow to these different metrics and these different components. And it's crazy. It's kind of like Wayne Gretzky said, you know, skate to where the puck is going to be because he was a hockey player from Canada. Well, what we tell people is recruit to where your talent requirements are going to be versus your talent requirements are currently at. So you're you're actually proactively addressing those things. And it just, it's fun. It's fun to watch it. I mean, if we were on this for one or two years, I don't know that we'd have credibility, but we made a lot of mistakes the first three, four, five years. And again, the key to staying in business for, we're on our 16th year, uh, in terms of our private organization is make enough money to pay for your mistakes. Boom. There you go. Rockstar. So I think that, that's it, Jen, isn't it? I mean, if you- Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening today and check back for more Talent Matters podcasts on recruiting. Oh, talk to you soon, y'all. Bye.